Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. In the video, it mentioned uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to reference that at the end of our message this morning. But Mark chapter 2, uh, we're not going to stand at this time. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be, verses 1 through 12. I really hope and pray that this series has been an encouragement to you all. Uh, I know it's been a help to me. As we started the very first week, and really all four of these messages tie perfectly together. Uh, because Jesus, first and foremost, has to reset our heart. He has to come into our heart, those that aren't saved, and save them. And with that, it flows into our minds, our thoughts, as we learn the second week. And then it flows into our voice, what we say, what we declare. And as we'll learn this week, it flows out of our hands, what we do. Everything flows together and ties together. But as we said, even that very first Sunday, everything goes back to the heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And the heart, everything out of the heart, it's the issues of life. So the heart is very important, making sure our heart is in tune with God. Uh, Mark chapter 2 this morning. Go ahead and stand at this time if you would. We're going to read the first 12 verses of Mark chapter number 2. The Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. This is Jesus. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Four men were bringing him in. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the, for the press, for all the crowd that was there, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. There's always people like this in crowds, in churches it seems like. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man have power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, excuse me, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I, I do thank you for this series. Uh, and I know it's been a great help to many in our church as they've said that uh, to me. And Lord, I know it's been a tremendous help to me. And Lord, I pray that you'd help myself, first and foremost, going forward, to make sure that my heart is always in tune with you. To make sure my heart is reset to do what you have called me to do, to, to function the way that you've called me to function. And Lord, I pray that today, if, if there is someone here that has never trusted you as their Savior, today might be the day that they realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Lord, for the Christian today that might be struggling with things, Lord, help them to realize that maybe it's just time to reset. 
to start over in a sense and, and get back to functioning optimally in our hands, our voice, our, our, um, our actions, our thoughts, our heart, everything. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless and guide in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Very quick review of what we've talked about thus far. Remember that a resetting of the heart is a prerequisite for worship. It's very important for worship. Once our heart has been reset for worship, our mind will lead to joy and peace. Once our mind leads to joy and peace, once we're thinking on those things that are right, that are pleasing to God, as Paul described in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, our voice will then praise Him and declare His glory. But today, we're going a step further. And looking at our hands specifically, and what I'm talking about is our hands in our service for God. Now, first and foremost, I do want to thank many of you and commend many of you that are serving God faithfully. And that's a great thing, and there's many people that I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message and thinking about it, that I could list off name after name after name of people that are serving God, and I want to thank you for that. But there are also some that aren't serving God the way that you should serve. And there also are some that maybe could be stretched a little more in your service for God. And I hope that this message will be an encouragement and a challenge for you today as we look at some very, very practical principles from God's Word from this story in Mark chapter 2 of what we see. But let me ask you a question this morning as we start. Why do you think it's difficult serving other people? Why do you think it's difficult serving other people? I'll take some feedback, if you will. Michael, you got something? Pride. Pride, that's a good one. What, what are us, some other difficulties for serving people? Why do you think it's difficult for serving people? Because honestly, it kind of goes against our nature in some ways. Some people are more prone to service and some people are not. Red? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, that's a great one. What else, David? Envy and bitterness. Envy and bitterness, that's very good. What else, Marcus? Has to be their way. Has to be their way. Venetia? Inconvenience. Thank you. That's the word I'm going to use today. Did you look at my notes? Oh, okay. Just making sure. Yes, inconvenience. There's a lot of other things, but I think it really comes down to that. Don't you love it when you're inconvenienced? Anybody love when you're inconvenienced? Isn't that your favorite thing? You guys know I'm a very sarcastic person, but I don't like to be inconvenienced. And I'm sure if you were honest, most of you wouldn't like to be inconvenienced as well. Now, let me ask this question. I don't necessarily want you to respond, but how do you respond when you're inconvenienced? Is it always with grace? <laughs> Probably most of the time not. But as it says up here, service to others is an inconvenience. But service is also gospel-centric. And what I mean is the center of it all, the center of who Jesus is and why he came and gave us the gospel, one of the very reasons in which he died on the cross was to save us of our sins. And once we're saved, you know what we're supposed to be doing? Serving. Well, I do serve. I help out where I want to help out. That's, that's fine. But our service should not be selfish. Our service should be selfless. And I want you to think about that as we continue on this morning. How often are we living a life of selfish service versus selfless service? So here's the real question this morning. As we look at resetting of our hands to serve, are you and I willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel? Because we don't like it when we're inconvenienced in life. We don't like it if, you know, uh, all of a sudden just someone shows up at our house expecting to have dinner. Wouldn't you love that? 
Today you go home and someone just comes in like expecting for you to feed them. What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't have enough food for my own family. We, we don't like inconveniences, but are we willing to be inconvenienced in our service for the gospel? And what I mean is so that the gospel could go forward. What price, and I don't want you to answer this out loud, but what price are you and I willing to pay so that others may come to Christ? And I'm not even talking about a monetary price. I'm not saying, well, I'll give $1,000. That's great. We just had an offering, but we can take another one at the end if you need to. But what price are you willing to pay so that others may come to Christ? Are you willing to open up your homes for Bible study? That's a great thing I think Tasha's doing. Others have, have volunteered as well. Are you willing to go out of your way to pick up someone that can't drive to church? Are you willing to serve in an area or ministry that you're not gifted in, but that needs help? So think about it. And this, this list could go on and on and on and on. All of us have talents and abilities, and we should use those talents and abilities, and that's a great thing. But are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to be inconvenienced so the gospel can go forward? And this story, when you think about it, it's a great story, many applications that we can see. But this story is a story of inconvenient service. Again, Jesus is in Capernaum, as it says in verse number 1. He's teaching and preaching. We don't know exactly whose house he's in. Some scholars say it could have been Peter's house. It may have been, it may not have been. That doesn't really matter. That's beside the point. But he's in a house, and it's, it's full. As it says in verse number 2, it was so packed that there was no room to receive them. I and mean, just think about that. The house is so full, no one else can get in. I think that's what's going to happen in the women's Bible study this week, all right? You ready for that? It's going to be so full. No, she's like, no, please no. But no one else could come in. So here we have these four friends. Their friend is sick. Most of us have heard this story. We're familiar with it. If you're not, we'll explain it today. So let's go ahead and, and read it again. Verse number two. And straightway they were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No more room at the door. And he preached the word, Jesus preaching unto them, teaching. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So four guys, four friends got together. Maybe it was brothers, maybe it was friends, coworkers, who knows what it was. But they brought him to Jesus because they'd heard of Jesus. They heard of the miracles that he could do. Verse number four, and, and with it, when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, so they couldn't enter in because there were so many people, they decided to do something about it. And you know what they did? They uncovered the roof where he was. So they broke up the roof to get their friend to Jesus. So maybe that'll happen this Friday. We don't know. Again, they're probably saying, no, no, no. But they broke up the roof to get their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, now this had to have been a sight. I mean, I, I can only imagine this. I preached this, this passage many times in different applications, but it, it would be a pretty crazy thing. I've had some crazy things happen during my preaching. You know, I've had a couple kids come forward and just start playing the piano. Uh, that was awesome a couple years ago when that happened. I, I've had crazy things take place, but I can't imagine all of a sudden the roof just like, there's light, and then like this body just starts coming down. Like, what in the world is going on? Like, anyway. Let's continue on. When they saw their when Jesus saw their faith, verse five, he said to the sick of the palsy, "Son, thy son, thy sins be forgiven thee." And then we skip down to verse number eleven. I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose. So when Jesus spoke the words, what happened? He was healed, but he wasn't just healed of his physical sickness. 
He was also healed of his spiritual sickness. Jesus did something great for him that day. And really, there's so many applications we can make here. But first of all, I I want us to see that there were several people on this day that were inconvenienced. Think about this. First of all, Jesus had to have been inconvenienced. Because he's preaching, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his preaching, boom, the roof opens up, and this body starts coming down. But this was a great opportunity for Jesus because it wasn't just about him speaking and teaching and preaching. Now he could actually put action to his words, and that's a great thing too. It's not enough just to talk the talk. It's very important for us to walk the walk. So Jesus had a great opportunity to put action to his words. But we also think of someone else that was inconvenienced on this day. It was Jesus' critics. In verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7 8, I, I think it is, and 9, uh, we have all these Pharisees, these religious leaders that came to hear Jesus just so they could scoff at it, just so they could criticize what he was doing. And I said earlier in a joking fashion, we have the same type of people in our churches today that, that come only to criticize things, only to see what's going wrong and things they don't like. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing here. So they were inconvenienced. We also have these four friends. They were inconvenienced. They can't get in, so they had to find a way. And then, I mean, you think about this. The owner of the house, he had to have been inconvenienced. Not only did he have a full house, but now he's got a hole in his roof. Who's going to fix that? (laughs) But the question of the day is this. Are you and I willing to be inconvenienced when it comes to our service for God? How far would you be willing to go What would you be willing to do in order for someone to come to the Lord? It's a sobering thought, a challenging question. I I hope many of us would say, I'd be willing to do anything. Would we? Paul went to jail. And as we've even said in our Ephesians series, and I really encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights for that because you're missing out if you're not here. But Paul, he went to jail. The Gentiles, in a sense, they were the reason he was in jail because he was a Jew and he could have easily gone to the Jews, but God sent him to the Gentiles and Even in jail, he realized that I had an opportunity to to preach the gospel. People got saved, and people got saved through that. And I don't think Paul necessarily said, hey, I want to go to jail, but I, I think as he was there and saw the fruit of it, he was thankful that God put him there because he didn't use it as an opportunity to not do anything. He used it as an opportunity to do something. Would you be willing to be inconvenienced so that someone might come to Jesus? I hope and pray your answer would be yes. But there are many of us that don't like to be inconvenienced. There are many of us that only do what we want to do. And I'm guilty of that. There are certain things that I might even say or not say, but I think that I'll do this, but I will not do that because it's not my job. It's someone else's job. Let me give you some practical principles this morning that we see from this story. First of all, these guys did some amazing things. And the first thing they did is this. They assumed that they could make a difference. If you're taking notes, write this down. They assumed they could make a difference. How many times do we assume that we can make a difference? And, and this, this, this thought really hit me hard this week because... There are a lot of times I assume that I won't make a difference, so you know what I do? I do nothing. 
Well, there's no way that I'm going to make a difference in this situation, so I'm just not going to do anything. Because that's the easy way, right? But these guys assumed they can make a difference, so they were willing to inconvenience themselves and their friend and others around them so that their friend could get to Jesus. Reset is about getting back to a heart, a mind, a voice, and hands that are functioning the way that God intended us to function. It's not about letting go of survival mode. It's about letting go of survival mode and learning to thrive in our Christian life. It's about leading someone else that's merely surviving and helping them understand what they're missing. You know, we're not even sure if this guy wanted to go and be brought to Jesus, but these four guys got it in their mind that they were going to make a difference in his life. And here's the truth, church. You and I can make a difference too. We can make a difference in this church, in this building, and we can make a difference in the outside community. But we have to be willing to assume that we can make a difference. We have to be willing to know that Jesus isn't going to turn us away, that he's going to accept us, and he's going to use our service to glorify him, to bring people to a saving knowledge of him. You know, if you and I are going to be servants, if we're going to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to give up our rights and our privileges and deference to others. This is what Jesus did, and this is what we must do as well. When Jesus Christ came, he humbled himself, right? Philippians 2 is a great passage on that. We're not going to turn there this morning, but Philippians 2 is all about others. Paul is saying that really the secret to joy is living a life for others. Making sure your service is for others, making sure your, your voice is speaking for others and, and encouraging others and edifying others and, and making sure they understand who Jesus is. Servanthood means giving up my rights. So the first thing we see is they assumed they could make a difference. The second thing we see, and it's very simple, they came together. <laughs> you know, this is a big deal. Unity is a big deal, is it not? I mean, imagine if just one or two of them said, you know what, I've got another way, I've got a better idea. And they started doing it and going all different ways. They would have never got to Jesus, and that's what happens a lot of times in churches. I've got a better way, so let's do it my way. No, I've got a better way. No, I've got a better And we're all running in circles. These guys, you know what, they, they deferred to someone else and realized that it might have been one person's idea, three people's idea, four people's idea, it didn't really matter. One of them had the idea, and they're like, you know what, that's a great idea. Instead of me trying to take charge, I'm just going to help. And that's what we need sometimes. Coming together, unifying ourselves, realizing that it's not about us. Again, church, what is it about? Who is it about? Jesus Christ God. Hopefully you know that. Hopefully you've learned that in my preaching. That it's not about us. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. So if it's not about us, we should be willing to come together so the gospel can be advanced. So people can get saved. Four guys. Each served an important part of the story. Christianity is not about getting. It's about giving. You know, there are a lot of things that we get. We've been talking about some of the things in Ephesians that we get. But it's not just about getting, 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 getting. It's about giving. I say that because what did Christ do? He gave His only begotten Son. Let's continue on. Not only did they assume they can make a difference, they came together. The third thing is this. They did something for their friend that 
he could not do. <laughs> could, he could he walk? I mean, he could probably try to crawl himself there or roll himself there. That would have been a horrible thing. He could not get to Jesus. So think about all the people in our world, in our society, that cannot get to Jesus. Thinking about all the people that cannot do certain things that maybe you can do. And what we see is they did something for their friend that he could not do himself. He simply couldn't get there by himself. And that's an amazing principle. It's so powerful, yet so simple and so profound. He couldn't get there by himself. He needed help. You think about it in the church realm. We need help encouraging each other. We can't get where we need to be spiritually on our own. We need help. We need people encouraging us, serving us, coming alongside of us. And I think about my own life so many times when, when I couldn't do something. Others had to do something for me. Others had to fill in. I, I think of the time that I was in the hospital back in May with meningitis. I could not get Chick-fil-A on my own. So I had two wonderful people come, Cheryl and David Jackson. Let's give them a hand. Yes. I know, silly illustration, but you understand what I'm saying. There's certain things that we can't do, right? He couldn't do it himself. He needed a friend or he needed friends that could do it for him. Look, there are a lot of people in our world that cannot get out of their circumstances. Did you realize that? They can't seem to break bad habits. Anybody know people like that? I think all of us. They can't work out a relationship problem. They can't get over their hurt. They can't get over their greed. They can't get over their selfishness. They can't get over their criticism. They can't get over their pride. Well, that's where you come in, if the Lord has helped you. To help show them, not, hey, you're wrong. No, show them lovingly how you can change. How God has changed you. Look, this is where we come in. Sometimes God calls us to do things for our friends that they cannot do themselves. Let's go on, the fourth thing. They wouldn't give up even when it looked difficult. Big crowd? No room, no access, no problem. We'll just cut a hole in the guy's roof. But how many times do we give up? It's too difficult. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to speak. I, I can't serve in this area because I'm not gifted. There are a lot of areas in this church that people need to serve in that aren't serving in. There are a lot of areas that people are serving in, and again, I'm thankful for that. But so many of us, and myself included, have given up at times when things got difficult. Well, if you're going to give up when things get difficult, then you might just as well give up on life. Because life is difficult. Especially sharing the gospel and serving other people. It's a difficult thing, but if you want to have a heart that is reset, a mind that is reset, a voice that is reset, and hands that are reset, you don't give up when things get difficult. Let me go on, because this is important. Number five, they assumed a risk because their friend was worth it. They assumed a risk because their friend was worth it. Hmm. What risk are you willing to take to make sure the gospel goes forth? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself and risk your own pride in order for someone else to have the opportunity to come to Jesus? 
You know, we all like to make excuses, don't we? Maybe we should have a service where we just have an excuse day. Where we talk about our excuses for why we cannot serve. Wouldn't that be a great service? It'd be a phenomenal, powerful service. Look, we, we all have excuses, and I'm not, I'm not negating them, really not, because some of the excuses that we have are legitimate. But some of them, even as were listed earlier, it's fear, it's pride, it's even, well, what is this person going to think if I start serving? Who cares what they think? Seriously, who cares what someone else thinks of you if you're serving? Are you going to answer to them one day? No, you're going to answer to Christ. And I'm not saying this in a bad way, but I don't even care what my wife thinks of me if I'm serving God. I do, but I care more of what Jesus thinks. And if she's the person she needs to be, and she is, she's going to realize that I'm doing what God wants me to do, and that's the most important thing. So it doesn't matter what someone else thinks. Well, they're always critical. Who cares? People are critical. People are negative. We've talked about that in here. Sometimes you have to distance yourself from that. But if you're always worried about someone else, then you're not going to be the servant God has called you to be. These guys assumed a risk. They knew it was a risk. I mean, what's Jesus going to say? What are the people going to say? What's the owner going to say when we have a hole in his roof? but it didn't matter to them because they were willing to do something. You know, we've talked a lot about different things in the church and things that I believe God has desired me to, to lead us in. I mean, we talked a little bit about it back in March. And again, it was just mentioned briefly, but I really would. I, I do have a desire, and it's my heart's desire for our church to be a training center and for our church to, to really reach out and help other churches and and uh, I really have a burden and desire for us to, to go and, and send a team somewhere to, to help revitalize the church. You know, once we get to the place where, where we can really be strong and healthy and thriving. But that's an inconvenience for some. And I know that. And I know we jokingly put a list together, but I'm not putting any list together. I'm just praying for God to soften people's hearts and be willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel. I'm just praying that God would get a hold of people and say, you know what? I don't have to stay in Decatur the rest of my life. I can go somewhere else that needs to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to do what God has called me to do. But it's easy to say, and, and, and look, I've been there. It's easy to say, hey, would you go? Nope. I'm not going. <laughs> Got another thing coming if he thinks I'm ever going to go. Get up out of my seat and serve. <laughs> Who's this guy I think he is? I don't think I'm anything, honestly. But what kind of attitude is that? What kind of attitude is that that we're more concerned with our own self and our own comfort than we are about Jesus Christ? Next year, it's truly my desire to truly make an impact in our community and, and globally as well. And we've got some things that we're going to be implementing later this year and in the beginning of next year and throughout the year. And I'm, I'm really excited about that, what God has given us. But we have to have people that are willing to take a risk. And we're going to have a mission trip opportunity next year. And Lord willing, we're going to be going to San Francisco. And that's not just a fun trip. We're going to have some fun. But it's not just, hey, I, I've always wanted to see, I was about to say the Eiffel Tower. That's not in San Francisco. The Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> I've always wanted to see Lombard Street. I've always wanted to see some of those things. We'll have an opportunity to do those things, but it's not about that. 
It's about risking ourselves, our, our conveniences to share the gospel with someone else and helping the wood fence. But let's continue on this last thing and then we'll make an application this morning. Not only did they assume a risk because their friend was worth it, but this is important. This is really the climax of this part of the message. Jesus did more than they were asking. What were they asking? That he would heal them or heal their friend of his sickness, of his disease. He was paralyzed. He was a paralytic. Uh, he, he could not walk. That's why they brought him to Jesus on that day. But what did Jesus do? Did he heal him? Yes. But he also saved his soul. And I think sometimes what we do is we limit God. You know, don't get me wrong. We should be praying for God to, to heal us and restore us and, and do all kinds of things. But <laughs> I even think about it in this story. God wants to do so much more than we can even dream, right? So much more than we even know. But how often are we saying, God, this is what I want you to do because this is what I need. And God's like, no, 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 this is what you need. You see, Jesus was willing to do, or Jesus did more than they were even asking. God wants to do so much more for you and I, more than we're even asking, and it really should blow you away to think about that. Yeah, Jesus healed his physical needs, but he also gave this man a reset. He, re he reset his heart that day when he forgave his sins, and he gave him something more valuable than the ability to walk. Salvation. Amen. And I can testify of this this morning. As a four-year-old boy, almost five in Indiana in my parents' house, I realized I was not saved. And I realized that I needed Jesus. And that night at my bed with my parents, stuffed animals around me, I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me my sins and come into my heart and be my Savior. And that's what he wants to do for you today. And there might be some, I, I dare say there are some in a crowd like this today that are not saved, that have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're asking him to do all kinds of things in your life, but what he wants to do first and foremost is save your soul. That's the first thing. Everything else is secondary. Who cares if he heals a sickness if, you're, if you haven't been saved? Because when, when you die, and all of us will unless Christ comes back, we'll go to either heaven or hell. And I'm thankful that I trusted Christ as my Savior. And it's a simple thing. It's just believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross to save us of our sins, realizing that we cannot do it on our own in this life, that we need someone. That's why these friends brought their friend to Jesus, because he couldn't do it himself. He couldn't heal himself. He probably went to a lot of doctors. No one could heal him. No one can help him, but Jesus can help him. And Jesus can help you. I want you to understand that service to God is not easy. In fact, most people are more self-serving or selfish instead of selfless in their service. Many people have a reciprocity approach. Here's what I mean. It's the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefits. You know what I mean? Uh, if I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And in, in some ways, that's, that's not wrong. And I understand what I'm saying. You know, we, we do this. We give our way our money and order to get a tax refund and tax return, and there's nothing wrong with that. But think about the relationship to our service to God and others. How often do we serve 
because we're expecting something back in return. But you look at God and his love for us. God's love is a one-way love. Here's what I mean. When God created the world, God didn't need anything else. He didn't need us. <laughs> God lovingly created us with, without needing anything in return. Yet what we see is gracious service, most clearly from our God, when he took on flesh. Jesus loved without strings. 1 John 4.10 says this, and this is what we know this to be true. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But God loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself with no regard for his own life. And you know what he did willingly? He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Get this down. The resetting of our hands is about giving service, not just about getting service. But how often do we serve in order to get something? Well, if I serve this person, then they owe me. We talked a little bit about this in our men's Bible study yesterday. If I do this, then they, they owe me. You got the wrong philosophy. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 the verse that we use in the video says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You know what liberty means? Freedom. Ye have been called unto freedom. Only use not freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We must understand that if you're a child of God today, if you're saved, then you've been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. That means you've been set free. The gospel has set you free. We've looked extensively about that in Ephesians. That we were dead in our sins before Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, hath loved us. He has saved us. He has made us free. Aren't you thankful for that, church? If you're saved, I am so thankful that we're free, that I am free. And, I, and again, I've, I've hit on this so many times on Wednesday nights, that so often, instead of living in freedom... We live in bondage. And what we see in Galatians 5, 13 and 14 quickly, there's an improper use of freedom versus a proper use of freedom. Notice the improper use. Verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, under freedom, only use not liberty, freedom for an occasion to the flesh. So what he's saying here, what Paul is saying, don't use your freedom to say, I can do whatever I want because I'm saved by the grace of God. So because of grace, I can do whatever I want and God's going to have to forgive me because it says in his word, that's wrong. Don't use the freedom that God has given you to live how you want to live because it's not your life. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. So the improper use of our freedom, and I've been guilty of this, church, and I know you've been guilty of this, that we've used our freedom, our liberty. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can put whatever I want in my body. That's okay. It's all good. I don't need God. I don't need the church. That's the improper use of our freedom. But the proper use of our freedom, as Paul continues, but by love. What are the next three words? Serve one another. God didn't save us and give us freedom to just live however we wanted. And he didn't save us to put us in bondage. That's not what this service is talking about. He saved us to serve, but it's our service should be out of love. 
I'm out of duty. Again, we all like to make excuses. But I'm, but I'm not equipped to serve, Pastor. That's okay, because God doesn't always call the equipped. You know what he does? He equips the called. What I mean is that if you're called, if you're saved today, he will equip you to serve. If your heart is right. And if you're a Christian, you've been set free to love, to serve, to give, to care. But are you too inconvenienced to serve? But what if someone else disrupts my schedule? God forbid that happen. I hate it when my, I honestly, I'm not just joking. I hate it when my schedule is disrupted. My wife hates it when I disrupt her schedule. <laughs> and that happens like every day. Thank you. But most of us don't like it. But what if our schedule is disrupted for an opportunity to serve? <laughs> I forget you people. Obviously, we're too inconvenienced to serve someone else. And that's not showing the love of Christ. That's not doing what God has called us to do. What, what if my service to others costs me my own pleasures? What are others, others going to think about, it, about me if I start serving? What if I invest my money and, and my time and my sweat and my tears and get no recognition? What if I get no respect? What if I'm an introvert? What if I'm, I'm not really a people person? What if I get tired of always having to help everyone else and no one ever seems to help me? What if it's someone else's job because we pay them to do that? Again, that's wrong thinking. Paul tells us how to serve, but how are we to love? Look at this, and this is important. Verse 14. I guess it helps him put them in the right chapter. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All of us, men, women, boys, girls, teens, whoever is here today, we know how to love ourselves because we take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We, we buy things for ourselves. So how are we supposed to love others the same way that you love yourself? The same way you do things for yourself, that's what you should do for other people. Pastor, do you expect everyone in the church to serve like this? Do you expect the, the people that are older to do this, that, that can't do what you can do, that have limited resources? Do you expect the, the single moms, the, the ones that are newly saved to do those things? Yes, I expect everyone in here to serve. Now, stay with me. I don't expect you to serve in the same capacity I can serve in. But I do expect everyone to serve because Christ has called us to serve. You might not be able to preach. You might not be able to do the nursery. You might not be able to lead a, a choir. You might not be able to do a lot of things, but what can you do? And it's very easy to make excuses, especially, and I'm not, I'm not negating this and, and belittling this, but especially as we get older, it's very easy for us to make excuses of why we can't serve. But I'm here to tell you, you still can serve because God has equipped you, God has called you, and until he's finished with you, he has something for you to do. Let me share something with you. Dr. Chester Swore tells about a bedridden woman who formerly taught a largest Sunday school class in her church. She sang in the choir, was active for many years, but she had contracted an incurable illness. She could have easily complained and said that her days were over. However, in a new spirit of courage, 
She said, I will look for new ways to serve. And she did just that. This lady became the most powerful witness in the church. For one week alone, she telephoned 150 church members from her bedside, urging them to go to important meetings at the church. She also invited young people to sit by her bedside. She had an opportunity to lead seven people to Christ at her bedside. Five others made commitments to a life of Christian service. This woman served mightily, and she never left her bed. Don't tell me you can't serve. Because God's grace is sufficient for all of our need. But it's about resetting our heart. It's about reconditioning ourselves. Get this down. The resetting of our hands will serve because of love. What I mean is that if you truly love Jesus, if you truly are the child of God that he's called you to be, you will serve because you love him, not because you have to love him. Well, so many people are bound by their guilt. Well, I guess I should serve because the pastor keeps guilting me into it. That's wrong. You should serve just because you love God, even if it's inconvenience for you. Pastor, I don't know what I can do. Well, I can talk with you throughout the week and give you a lot of opportunities, but maybe you can just pray to God. God, what, can, what would you have me to do? Maybe you can't get around as much as you could, but can you pick up a phone? Can you send a text? Can you send an email? Can you pray? There's, there's, look, there's a list of things that we can do, but we're so easy, and, and I'm, I'm just as guilty of this because even in my sicknesses and ailments, there's been times where I'm like, oh, I can't do anything. Woe is me. That's a horrible attitude to have. And I know that is because I've, I've been called out on it. But it's a horrible attitude to have. I haven't been called to live a life how I wanted to live, even if it's uncomfortable for me. I've been called to serve Jesus Christ. Get this down. Gospel-centric service without love is bondage. But gospel-centric service with love is freedom. If you're having a hard time serving, well, let's go back to your heart. Maybe it's because your heart hasn't been reset. You know, we, we've jokingly said this before, but we shouldn't have to force people to serve in certain areas. People should just be jumping at the opportunity. I mean, we should be having to turn people away. Hey, we have too many people. <laughs> Let's put you in this area. But does that happen? Too often, no. Why? I think it goes back to here. It trickles into here. It comes out of here. Flows through our hands. Where's your heart today? Where's your mind? Where's your voice? What are your hands doing? Here's the core truth. A reset life is willing to be inconvenienced in our service in the gospel. The reset life is the best possible life you can live because it's all about Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. That Jesus changes everything. He changes your heart. He changes your mind, your thoughts. He changes your voice. And he can change your hands today. 